Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Fundamentalists Podcast. This is the day after Valentine's Day. Happy belated Valentine's Day. This will probably go up, what, tomorrow, Sunday? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, it might be hard for Corey to get it up that quick. That's true. Although he's very good, so, so good. who knows? Yeah. Thank you, Corey. Um, whatever happens, thank you. Uh, welcome back, folks. My name is Elliot Morgan. Uh, I am here with my good friend, uh, Peter Rollins, who is a philosopher, writer, theologian, speaker, handsome man yeah all um, of the above. and i am all of those things as well yeah. and so today we're going to be talking about purity culture which i'm very excited to talk mm. about because you got all sorts of goodies in this one <laughs> this is going to be a good episode um how you doing i'm doing good uh what have i been up to you know typical very yeah chilled i was in belfast for a couple of weeks and that's about it. So we can blame the lack of podcasts on Belfast. On Belfast, yeah, we have been pretty poor. Um, how's Belfast? Good. I had a great time. I just I went home for no particular reason, just to see yeah. people and hang out, and it was lovely. Really, uh, that's great. Yeah, it was good. Um, you had a good party time, and did you reconnect with? Did played poker with my old poker friends. Nice. All of that. That did you win? Uh, no, uh, sad. I could say yes, but I didn't. I yeah. lied. You could lie. I could lie. Could I could edit? Could yeah. I edit this? Sure. Yeah. So let's start from here. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally kicked Yeah, ass. you killed him. Yeah, yeah. Killed good him. for you, yeah. man. Good for <laughs> nice. you. Did you, you come in? Did you place like second or? No, so we didn't do a tournament. We just played cash. And um, I, you know, I think uh, that was like 20 quid down. Something yeah. like that. So That's pretty cool, man. Yeah, so. I miss playing poker. Remember when we did that? Oh, yeah. We got we to gotta do that again. Yeah. I need to like, I forget the rules immediately, mm-hmm. let alone the the strategy and yeah. how to actually be okay at it but it is fun whenever we well i've been playing it. for years and then when i've gone to vegas to sit down suddenly i forget everything because i'm so nervous when you sit down with a pile of people you don't know you don't seem first. nervous i've been with you in vegas which by the way i'm still oh. down to do a second vegas a vegas fundamentalist podcast yes uh, yeah I'm uh, totally yet another for that absolutely we do a follow-up after the last trip which yeah. was crazy <laughs> but i've not crazy. heard from uh, from curtis whether he's down for vegas for another think, trip yeah, yeah i think yeah. i ruined it for him by uh by not being there basically okay, but anyway. do you ever talk about that on the podcast that you basically abandoned your friends um on the podcast no, no yeah uh, but yeah i abandoned <laughs> my friends a girl showed up mm-hmm. so i and i said when she we uh, curtis and i had such a great plane ride there yeah. like i remember we took off in burbank and we were just like immediately talking and having just great conversations and then we landed and i get text messages uh from this girl named grace who was like okay i'm on my way to vegas and i was like i remember turning to curtis and being like if she comes to vegas i'm not going to be around yeah. have fun and in my <laughs> mind i'm like this is me just cashing out all the bro cards that i could possibly cash out but i still felt bad and then grace didn't know at the time that i had gone with you guys she thought i was just going by myself Uh which was the plan because originally we me and her were gonna go and then she you know thought she couldn't go uh quote unquote and uh yeah so then it was like oh okay so well i feel bad but um i apologize yeah i i don't know I, i i i did everything i could to make amends there and we have moved past it that's good he's looking really well at the moment i saw him the other day he's he is like, right yeah my goodness like he's got that beard going and yeah, yeah, and, yeah. he looks like a substantial human yeah which i think i'm starting to fill out a little bit and get like a I'm also looking so at you're, my... You're the type of person who, you know, you get better with age. You just look too young when you're in your 20s. That's what this so, podcast should be about, yeah, is how yeah. lucky it is to be a dude and to age into 
Yeah. You have the same thing. You don't get less cool as you age. Well, thank you. Well, that, that, could, well, be, that's that could be a hidden yeah. dig. You can't get uh, you less can't cool get, when you're yeah. not there already. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You've already hit rock bottom. Um, yeah, so uh, let's dive in. We're okay. doing purity culture. You have all yeah. sorts of stuff to talk about. This is an interesting uh, subject matter because it will require some, uh, some dancing a little bit, but I'm excited to do it. I think people will like it. Oh, yeah. I just guessed, actually, the, 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 or just realized that uh the the standard definition of purity culture not everybody will know what that is do you want to explain what purity culture means oh in the i will just world yes and then i can jump from there in the religious world well or i think that's where it comes from and okay. well that's where the the term purity culture is where it's mostly used well i will absolutely take the reins here pete oh, i'm yeah. an expert on purity culture yeah. myself being a very pure person absolutely um purity culture i think in the modern interpretation would be basically uh, the conservative uh, American Christian worldview that says that sin uh, is rampant. There are sinners out there. They, they are different. They are bad. They they are um, so they've been seduced by the devil, and therefore Jesus, who washes your soul with his blood or whatever, um, makes you pure and makes you able to enter into the kingdom of the Lord. Well, is that, now that's interesting, because that seems to me to be like, like a very kind of broad purity culture. I thought it was primarily to do with not having sex before marriage. You're talking about purity rings. Oh, are this purity rings and purity culture not? They probably are. Are it connected? I bet, right. I bet they're connected. Okay, yeah. I, they have to be. Yeah, um, it's. I'm so far ruined. We were just talking before. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, before we started this uh, recording. <coughs> I'm getting over a cold. Sorry, folks. Sorry, Corey. Um, <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, I'm listening to this Rhett and Link series right now, and I'm wearing their shirt coincidentally. But uh, are we getting money for that? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. For us to be sponsored. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For us to, yeah. You don't want, we're not going to put our social footprint out there without getting a little cha-ching. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, we should start doing the podcast more, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I've been listening to their, their stuff and sort of talking about the world that they came from. And uh, they, I did, they haven't talked too much about the purity ring and the purity culture stuff, but I definitely grew up around that where yeah. people would wear, purity rings or promise rings. I got my, my oh, ex-wife yeah. a promise ring when we were like in high school or something like that. That's after you got married, make sure that there was no sex after marriage. Exactly, yeah, make good. sure, yeah. yeah. And yeah. ultimately, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, cause I, I think of it, although I didn't grow up in American religious culture, but that it largely it was around, yeah, this notion of the pure, the, the chosen you're talking mm -hmm. about, but also it's around about, uh, when to have sex and how to have sex yes. is not no sex before marriage. I didn't hear about the how. All right. Yeah, they All kept right. that me in the dark about that. It was just the when. You're still figuring it out. Oh yeah, I have uh, no yeah. idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've it's, seen the videos. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I like to text people. I like to show mm. progress. Um, yeah. So, but you're talking okay. about something totally different. Yeah, I mean, it's connected in a way because, like, purity culture at its very basic is all about managing cleanliness and dirt. Uh, who is inside, who is outside, who is who is pure, who is impure. Mm -hmm. And uh, dirt is simply matter. In, in its most basic sense, dirt is matter out of place. So you look at a sand pit and you don't think of it as dirty. But if the sand is in your house, you think of it as dirty because it's 
matter that's out of place it's mm -hmm. not in its right place or you don't think of saliva in your mouth as dirty but if you spit it into a glass you'd find it hard to drink because it it seems dirty right it's it's in the wrong place yes so dirtiness is kind of matter out of place and purity cultures are all about how to manage rituals of cleanliness what is clean and what is dirty what is toxic and what is not toxic and the reason why i wanted to talk about it is i've heard and numerous people have mentioned names, but a lot of people have been talking about purity culture in in religious terms and kind of digging at it and saying how funny it is. Because um, in purity culture and religion, it's like sex is fine. Sex is not dirty, but it's dirty when it's out of place, yeah. when it's done in a certain way or outside of marriage. So it's all about the location. That was a lesson, yeah, I remember being a kid, my, my mom, because I would always ask a bunch of questions, curious little twerp brain and i would be like i remember being very convinced that sex was bad like mm -hmm. sex is a bad thing and from a very young age and then my mom would clarify and go no sex is not bad sex outside of marriage is bad yeah. and that's sinful and then i was like okay so it was a weird sort of nuanced approach to it but also one that still basically sent the same message it's yeah. like oh this basically all that means is that marriage saves the act of sex like in yeah. a almost religious sense where yeah. it's like oh this thing that would be dirty you then go through a ceremony and now that thing is it's is clean. is approved by the lord yeah and and you'll see there are lots of like confessional christians uh confessional christian pastors who they will they will sing the praises of sex like sex becomes you know within within a certain confines it's like pure it's sacred it's beautiful they'll talk about their sex life with their partner they'll kind of preach about it mm -hmm. so it's kind of like an extreme is like there is there is this purity the sacredness the beauty of it on one side but if it's out of place, then it's dirty, it's wrong. Yeah, right? there's also like a faux, I mean, I remember in college, the church um, that I went to, which the pastor was great, it's a great church, um, blanking on the name of it right now, but uh, he would talk very highly about sex and in a way that was like kind of funny and kind of like almost taboo or edgy because yeah. he was a pastor that was singing the praises of sex. Uh, and I think it made people feel less jammed up about the subject, but also it was it was still always under the umbrella of marriage, yeah. and and uh, so it was almost like rather than it was like the shift from purity culture in high school with purity rings and don't have sex before marriage. It's like the doctrine didn't change, but the focus changed in yeah. the messaging where they just focused so on how great sex is and how much fun and how wild and crazy yeah. sex is with your marital yeah. partner for life. And that's, and that's key for a purity culture because in a purity culture, uh, the pure is pure, like there's no dirt in it. It's not, um, there's no ambivalence. Like, yeah. so the pure is pure and the dirty is dirty. So that's you, nothing makes sex more fun than it being totally pure and totally <laughs> I know. holy. It's a, uh, it's a, that is a real problem. Yeah. Like that's why people like Bataille hated sexual revolution made sex to pure. Um, but that's another topic. That's it. Um, yeah. But so, so you have this, right, religious world, purity culture, there's a few people kind of like who have come out of that, and maybe rightfully so, they're exercising their demons about it, etc. Yeah. But the, the implication is that we live with less purity cultures than we did, or less people are convinced by those types of purity cultures. We're so past that. Yeah. And my worry is, 
And I Give us the around. bad news. Well, yeah, here's the bad news. I worry that there's a proliferation of new purity cultures. That what? Actually, what? <laughs> Tell me more. Yeah. That, well, you know, maybe it's it, purity cultures always exist at all times, but we are living in a time where there are just new insiders and outsiders, new uh, purity and impurity rules, mm-hmm. new rituals of cleanliness. By the way, not just culturally like Twitter or something like that, but also biologically, like I, I maybe we'll get into this, maybe we won't, but like M, M, MCS, uh, multiple chemical um, sensitivity, mm-hmm. is, this, is a kind of experience in which a person starts to feel that they're allergic to chemicals and modern life. It's also called like building illness and environmental illness. Um, but it's, it's where increasingly, like there's a place called Snowflake, Arizona, where people live who feel that they can't be around any modern chemicals or phone signals or, uh, you know, uh, even paper has a chemical Mm -hmm. dimension. Um, And so, again, there's a whole controversy about to what extent is um, uh, MCS real, but... uh, Of course, it's real across the board. It just, is it medical or is it That's a nice way to put it. That's a nice way to put it. I'm, you know, this is... uh, it's not my first rodeo. Yeah. You know? uh, <laughs> yeah. So, but but it's definitely uh, an element of of people trying to work out cleanliness and dirtiness. Also, obsessive compulsive disorders, yeah. where people are obsessively kind of working out cleanliness and uncleanliness. And if someone you say obs- in the most pristine apartment that I know. the world has ever seen, <laughs> nothing is out of place in this yeah. apartment. It's a, it's a serial killer apartment. I, I uh, you were yeah. talking about the Roomba. Oh, like yeah, the yeah. iRuma or whatever it is. And my, uh, you're like, yeah, it's great. It just keeps the place clean, picks up all the dust. And I was like, wow. I was like, I wonder what it would be like to live somewhere where the level of dirtiness that you worry about is just dust on the floor. <laughs> like I was like, oh, that's so far down the totem or down the pole for my priority cleaning wise, where it's like, oh yeah, no, me and my girlfriend live like we're pile people. There's piles everywhere. It's like a Roomba isn't going to solve the big problem. Yeah. That's the, that's the literal surface. <laughs> I have the room going five times a day. Good. Yeah. yeah it's just your friend. <laughs> yeah. 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 My only friend. <laughs> no wonder you're not yeah. hanging out with people at yeah. night. You're just hanging out with your Roomba. My Roomba. Yeah. So Snowflake. Yeah. Oh, it's Arizona. Snowflake, Arizona. Um, so even biologically, we're seeing phenomenon in which people are, I say obsessive compulsive, who's maybe keeping their garage completely ordered. No thing that's out of place. Um, and we, I, I, you know, I mentioned Twitter where there's like, again, rules for what, for who is pure and who is right and who is impure and who is bad. And there's a lack of ambivalence and there's a lack of, uh, uh, kind of like dirt and cleanliness don't interweave. Is ambivalence the right word? Yeah. Well, so this... This is a word that Melanie Klein used, this theorist Melanie Klein. I wanted to kind of bring her into the conversation. And who's she? <clears throat> so she was a psychoanalyst writing at uh, the beginning of the 20th century, a uh, big influence or influenced by Freud. Um, and she, she worked with children. So her thing was children and infants. And she developed a theory that there are two very primal uh, uh, I was going to say stages, but they're not stages. Mm-hmm. They're um, kind of uh, processes. Okay. The first is called the paranoid schizoid process or position. Uh, and the other one's called the depressive position. 
And she she kind of postulated that infants between basically between zero and six months. That's uh, so insane. So insane. I mean, that, that was one of her innovations where she went really young, when she was really analyzing. Infants. That yeah, I mean, um, in term as someone who is very very interested in all this stuff and psychology and all that, uh, the overwhelming amount of evidence and just sort of this this consensus on the fact that it's so early in in the life before you can talk before you're aware of yourself is when all of these issues can arise mm. blows my mind every every day yeah. like anytime i hear it like my therapist will be like he'll be like look this stuff he's like this happens between the ages of like zero and three he's like there's nothing you can do about it and i'm like this is your crazy compulsive masturbation issue? No, the murdering of okay. the cats. Yeah. Oh right. All right. Um, okay. Yeah. 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 No, the <laughs> masturbation is fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, there's like you know ointments that heal everything, but um, <laughs> that's gross. Uh, yeah. So yeah. So zero to six months, and you're saying okay. So you're saying uh, the difference between like a stage and a process is basically like a stage doesn't a stage almost implies that everyone sort of goes through this yeah but a, a process is something that is some people go through and some people don't or some babies uh, yeah. go through and some babies don't and i should have said but the better word is position that's what, but yeah position oh, okay. or a position is more that you don't necessarily move through it like you don't because a stage is almost like something you leave behind gotcha whereas a whereas a position is for her this paranoid schizoid position it manifests itself in adult life as well you don't move beyond it um, you can minimize it and pretty much get rid of it but there's there's if your back's against the wall it might flare up again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And the definition of the paranoid schizoid position is, um, it's basically the paranoid dimension is the feeling that there is some external force that is threatening your annihilation. There is something out there that will overcome you, overpower you, you're helpless to stop it. And the schizoid side of the term means you split the world into good and bad. There's good objects um, and there's good things in the world and there's bad things in the world. And you very much kind of like uh, differentiate between the two. Okay. And that is similar. The reason why I wanted to bring Klein into it is because I think she gives a very simple way of understanding a purity culture because purity culture is about splitting into clean, cleanliness and dirtiness. It's a kind of, it's a paranoid schizoid mm -hmm. kind of position. And, oh, and in religion, a lot of religion obviously is about cleanliness rituals, about what is clean and what is dirty. And if you look at religions like Judaism and Christianity, what you discover is there are purity rules and then someone comes up from within the religion and questions the purity rules and says, hold on a second, the people you say are dirty, are they really dirty? Mm -hmm. And you say you're clean, are you really that clean? And they, they kind of like uh, ask questions of and kind of deconstruct the cleanliness dirtiness system and his name was jesus <laughs> and his name was jesus absolutely uh, right right like he questioned <laughs> well, yeah you can say exactly well you can see one of the things that jesus did as a jew coming from the jewish religion was questioning the purity culture yeah of and, the day. and going whoever doesn't has not sinned throw the first stone i mean i feel like that's one of the best 
Absolutely. And, and then that story tells about like, a, was it a Pharisee and a tax collector? And at that time, the Pharisees were very strongly within a purity culture and the tax collectors were very much seen as, as outside. And so he tells a story that, or the Good Samaritan, all of these are stories that question purity culture. Yeah. Who's inside, who's outside. And this is what Melanie Klein calls the depressive position. The depressive position is when she says you start to tolerate uh, she calls it ambivalence and ambiguity. You start to realize that that the th- that the thing that you think is dirty, it's not completely dirty. And when you think of yourself as clean, you're not completely clean. Mm-hmm. And there's a porousness and there's a dimension in which there's an interconnection between the two that yeah. you're denying. Um, and so the depressive position is when you start to break out of the purity culture mentality and have a more... Uh, rounded notion of reality. It is the most on-brand Peter Rollins thing <laughs> to be like the position you want to take is called depressive. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Like, yeah. what are the odds? What are the odds uh, of that? Yeah. I mean, uh, so so basically, after six months, mm. many infants mm. might actually experience or understand that there's a spectrum of good and bad and everything yeah she thinks that it's it's happening as well even before six months i think i think she sees it like between zero and four months roughly now by the way this is just her initial reflections mm-hmm. but early on the, the child really can't have a, a kind of an ambivalent notion of reality can't have an integrated notion they call, she calls it partial objects and freud does well but a partial object is you kind of break the say the mother down to a good, they call it the good breast, right? Which is when the child is getting food and the bad breast, which is when the mother's not around, the child's hungry. And basically the world is just this <coughs> crazy place of good and bad. And, yeah. and But then, yeah, very early on, the child begins to get a richer experience and they goes from partial objects to whole objects. They realize their mother, for example, is not all bad or all good mm-hmm. um and that's a very healthy thing you know it's like uh the go it's going from hate the sinner or hate the sin not the sinner to uh all of us have fallen short of the glory of god basically wow that's very good you should be a preacher man Dude, that's good that, yeah you go that's i don't know what just happened yeah <laughs> that was though i just fired off the last two brain cells mm-hmm. that i have uh this weekend yeah uh, but that, that's it i mean definitely you could read Jesus as, you know, and uh, kind of an explosion of the depressive position within a religious purity culture. Cool. Um, and it is funny she uses the word depressive because here's the sad, here's the bad news and then the good news. The bad news is for her, there's no way beyond the depressive position. Oh, really? So yeah, it's kind of, it can mature and it can get better, but the depressive position is kind of where we all have to kind of find a place. Where would you go? I mean, where would be, what would be the, the beyond of that? Yeah. Yeah. It's it'd be hard to maybe define. Well, well for her, there is, yeah, there is no beyond. Yeah. The, the beyond is simply. Why would you want to be on though? I mean, yeah. would you want to be, I feel like when you get to a place where you can understand ambiguity, then you're pretty much in the best position to navigate life. I can't yeah. imagine there being, unless, because then it seems like you get into the other the advancement of this would be where we're at now, which is people who 
have convinced themselves that they understand ambiguity or that they accept ambiguity, but in actuality, they are still mentally casting people out who oh, yeah. are different from them or tweeting about them. Yes, 100%. And I suppose the development is, uh, she would say that early in the depressive position, that is where there's extreme guilt. And that is where, because like, right, if you initially thought, if I initially think that you're an asshole, mm -hmm. which is, you know, relatively accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, and I- Happens a lot. Not yeah, happens. Happens. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the Twitter comments. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, so I, I really demonize you. I make you into a one-dimensional enemy. And then I kind of like, you know, move into a more depressive position. And I realize that I've projected a lot of stuff onto you. I've been an asshole. It is depressive because what I have to do is I have to, I feel guilt. Mm -hmm. I suddenly feel guilty. I feel like I I was bad. I might have to apologize or I repress or I try to find reparations. So, yeah. so Klein talks about repression and reparations. So the early stage of the depressive position is hitting reality principle and it's experiencing life that your lover is not perfect, right? It's experiencing the reality that everybody has issues. Mm -hmm. So that's a bit depressing and there's guilt and there's an attempt to, you know, do find reparations for mm -hmm. the other fix it fix it exactly but then once you've kind of like integrated this idea then the depressive phase is no longer depressing so you'll always have maybe it's healthy to have a little bit of guilt a little bit of like oh i was a, a, a bit bad mm -hmm. but um i suppose for her success is not yeah as you say overcoming the depressive phase but integrating it so well into your life that you don't experience you know the manic paranoid schizoid position and then you don't experience the the extreme guilt that comes out of that mm -hmm. you know and almost like that's how you get to real love like loving other mm. people is when you can understand that there's when you can love someone with all their junk then that's way better than yes. trying to love someone and assume constantly that they're perfect or that you're the most flawed one or that you're per it's yeah that that makes yeah. sense we uh oh go ahead oh okay well we um since yeah i was thinking about the the stages um and or or positions i guess but with the valley folk and the way that we've sort of navigated the past few months um it's been a difficult time and a very depressing time not necessarily depressive but it was interesting because I've gone, th I've had experiences where my quote unquote audience will turn on me and say horrible things and just vicious, vicious things. Um, Joe and Steve, I don't think had experienced that level of, of, of hate before. Um, and none of us had experienced it from our own Valley folk, you know, our core audience and the amount of people who would reach out and say like horrendous things to us because they, you know, the, uh, <laughs> what my girlfriend says is, uh, the good news is that the internet always knows everything all the time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so people would lash out at us and they, and still do thinking that, you know, we're these like evil backstabbing dudes. And, uh, and then the, the wave comes after it. Mm -hmm. And the way that Joe described it was, he was like, it starts with emotion. It starts with this, like, being very upset, seeing things very black and white, like uh, this person is perfect and you guys are are all evil and, and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. And then there were a few people, a small fraction of people who flipped it mm -hmm. 
who went full bore the other direction. Yep. Um, and the all this, the right ones, the correct ones. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the ones who got it, uh, <laughs> uh, that's off the record. Uh, but yeah. And then there are people who go, Oh yeah, no, we wish the best for all of you guys. And then the like freaking dude hand, so many handwritten notes, pages long, apologizing mm-hmm. email, direct emails. Um, I'm still getting ones trickling in of like just on Instagram DMS, people being like, I was so upset by what happened. Um, and I knew when it happened that it was symbolic for the people that that were upset about it. So there wasn't too much like hatred of them. Yeah. Um, after a while though, it there there's been an anger that's developed where it's like, if you're not gonna exit this this position, if you are truly believing that it is black and white and that you have it figured out as someone who doesn't know anything, then my patience runs like yeah. real low. But the wave of emotion to logic or paranoid schizophrenic to depressive, to see in real time while I've been doing my best and the dudes have been doing their best to just be ourselves, yeah. his it's like, it's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, like, cause it, it's completely removed from me in the sense of going, I have nothing to do with this. Like this, the, the level of uh, vitriol that's coming toward me truly has not like not a lot to do with me. Yep. It's I'm a part of it, I'm symbolic, but it's something, it's so clear that it's something that affected people in a grander way mm-hmm. that I have no control over and actually don't mind. Like we, I differ from Steve and Joe here a little bit because I think it's great. Because you're heartless. Because I'm heartless, yeah. yeah. Uh, (laughs) You feel nothing. (laughs) Or, yes, I feel nothing and I'm a sociopath. Uh, But yeah, the the idea that we, that this group of four people meant something so deep Mm -hmm. for people means of course people are going to project onto it. They're going to see their own relationships. We've we've influenced people's senses of humor. Uh, We've influenced their idea of friendship. And we also played nice and made nice for a long time. And so I think it's perfectly natural for people to just sort of lash out. But man, the fact that it's still going on is just like, it's getting more and more like, I'm starting to feel like I'm just on a leash and I'm like, I'm going to come, I'm going to do, do it. You're getting dumb. You're getting dumb. Uh, so. But I mean, it's a great object lesson, what you've just described, object exactly lesson. what we're talking about. Speaking of purity culture. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, cause here's the thing, right? This, this is, this is very useful because the re- reason, the reason why so many people reacted to your situation is partly because um, what you guys do, like most people, like a lot of YouTube personalities, you provide a certain stability in anxious times for people who might feel like in, in the modern world, it's, you know, it's a very difficult place. People can feel lonely. People can feel anxious. People can have family issues and family problems. And on YouTube, what you do is you provide a context where, and it's real, it's an authentic thing where they connect with you you have a you you present also a stable kind of like family relationship um and they feel part of that and they are part of that in variety of ways especially with these interactive things like twitch or whatever and so when a certain break happens um that is going to cause a lot of anxiety and a lot of emotion Mm -hmm. and so the paranoid schizoid position is going to manifest and there's nothing wrong with that it's just what's going to happen when you realize it, you accept it. Of course, everyone's gonna feel, I've been there, we all have been there. But 
over time, you know, people, hopefully more and more people will move from the paranoid schizoid position to the depressive position. And I That's saw That's what you can hope in a comp for a comedy group. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen That's your the goal. Yep. <laughs> we just want to make you depressed, get you to the depressive position. Yeah. Yep. That is my comedy. Yeah. yeah. That is exactly that. But I, I seen it on actually the comments and things on your YouTube channel where I was amazed that very quickly I saw numerous people saying, I'm sorry, I was just frustrated and anxious and I realized I don't have the full story and I'm sure it's a complicated thing. And that and that's that's the early stage of the depressive because there's guilt and there's reparation. The other thing people do, but and you don't hear from these people is repression. I've seen this on Twitter is like someone will attack a group because they see something say online and they really attack it. And then when evidence comes out that that was not the whole story, they just go quiet. You mm. just ignore it and they move on. So there's no reparation. There's just repression. Um, that's still you know, an, an advance, <laughs> but it's, but it's not, you know, it's not healthy. Yeah. And yeah. I've seen that loads. I could give loads of examples, but on, on, on social media where people pile onto some individual because they seem like they're all bad. And then evidence comes out that, that actually the person who was being treated badly is actually maybe the victim. Um, even things like the Johnny Depp thing and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know much about it, but there's examples where people have been piled on. Did you listen to those recordings? I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's fascinating. So it's fascinating. So that's a good example of this. Um, there's loads of examples. Uh, but uh, a lot of people just go quiet. And uh, But what I'm always impressed with are the ones who, who seek reparation. They feel the guilt. They seek the reparation. They send you a letter and they go, and they're not even saying, we think you're right. They're just going, I guess it's more complicated. That's and it. Yeah. That's it. That's all it is. Because that's the truth. The truth is it's, is it's complicated. Yeah. You know, life the, uh, is complicated. What I've noticed too is the um, reparations are a great thing to see or like, you know, it, it feels good when you sort of see people like it's having a, we had a, I had a certain amount of faith in our audience that, I think was shaken by the everything by the fallout that happened. Um, even though none of it should have been surprising, the way everything went down was mm. not super yeah. surprising. But um, the the damage that's done during the paranoid schizophrenic fra uh, phase mm. is, in my experience, not uh, the damage is done. Like it doesn't. It's not like the reparations. All I mean, of course, it's like immediate not forget forgiveness might be the right word it sounds a little um uppity to say that but but that is part of it yeah the depressive yeah, yeah but the 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 effects of the cumulative and overwhelming phase and just the 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 stress of that i think has affected me as somebody who processes things pretty quickly way more than i realized mm -hmm. to the point that it's not the reparations are, are a beautiful thing to see and they're very nice, but it doesn't outweigh the damage that's done, which I think yeah. is the is the fear with the culture that we're living in right now where everyone is everyone is so ready to jump down everybody's throats for everything, uh, especially politically. And this year I think is just going to get worse and worse as we move on, especially if Bernie ends up getting the nomination. It's going to become just haywire because it's going to be two extremes yeah. fighting rather than like a moderate and a conservative or whatever but anyway uh, rather than my my uh terror my very unpopular hot take which is the rest of them are just neoliberals so it's choosing you know the democrats and the republicans no difference bernie's the only for me he's the only uh 
the only one who's different whether you like him or not he's the only one who's not a neoliberal yeah anyway but that's uh i'm glad to hear you say that yeah Yeah. no that's very true so anyway yeah the um it's been a very interesting transition going seeing the wave of people change but then you know it's basically just hurt feeling it's just a licking your wounds and then having to maintain a sense of self while you're being verbally annihilated and then rely on the logic of going i know what the i I know what this is like i know that it and i would feel the same way like if if i saw it from the outside and i was intrinsically attached to a a certain version of people then yeah it would be truly traumatizing for people and the the difficulty isn't the difficult situation you had was that in a way you can't do business as usual because by definition that rupture within the group is going to cause anxiety within a lot of the audience and it's going to cause a lot of issues and and so just going on business as usual it's not you're not going to be able to it just didn't work it just didn't work it can't it can't Mm -hmm. work it has to be addressed and and then one you have to try and figure out how do you live in the aftermath of it yeah uh and it's and it's difficult and you're saying you're kind of in the you're still navigating that you know Mm -hmm. how to how to how to move on yeah it's um it's like a married couple that um, obviously there's the divorce analogy, which works really well. It's a relationship, but in that particular instance, it's almost like the the married couple. The woman is married to a, a man who is a raging alcoholic, and she's put up with his alcoholism for 25 years, and she just wants him to stop drinking. And then when he actually does stop drinking, then all of a sudden she. They don't she doesn't have the thing to point to to blame for oh, yeah. problems anymore and so uh then they have to learn how to be an actual couple and see if they even like each yeah. other and so that's kind of it's a similar thing of going okay well now we have to figure out like what this is because it's something new and it's something different and it's also coupled with what at the very time we need something new and different and to find out what that is it's the exact same time that we are the most wounded by the situation and so it's a it's just typical life stuff it's yeah. like it, of course it has to happen when things are going great it's easy to be like here's a new thing yeah. and then when it's not it's like oh yeah i've only if only i wasn't feeling this way then maybe it's yeah. you find that one thing to blame which kind of i guess goes back to what you're talking about with the paranoid schizophrenic like it's in all of us to just go this thing if this other thing if this other person of this other element if i was only this then everything would be great but i also know that's not necessarily what you're and and the, and the thing exactly is about. but no but that is very connected no absolutely um but and also this is a great um kind of event for valley folk because it is a learning experience for everybody, including the audience. It's like, how, because we all have to navigate, how do you break up? And how do you cope with ambiguity? How do you cope with anxiety? How do you, you know, because a lot of, I've just discovered TikTok, right? Um, and I, I discovered it because Barry, my friend Barry, he was looking at it one day and I was like, well, what is TikTok? He says, it's very addictive. I went on to it and oh my goodness, it's very addictive. And I haven't figured out why it's addictive yet, but it's addictive. Yeah, yeah, it's so weird, man. It's so weird. I never would have suspected that it would be the thing that takes off. Yeah, I know. But but I was watching, I was last night I was watching, I was like, oh my goodness, this is flicking from one thing to the other. And why was I mentioning TikTok? Because uh, there was a point I was gonna make about, um, 
What was that about TikTok? I'm gonna see here. I, can, I want you to. I want to know. You want? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna wait even if it's three hours until yeah. this insight comes. It's a great time for Valley folk because da 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 da, and then like TikTok. <laughs> oh yes, great time for Valley folk. Oh yes, we all have to learn ambiguity. We all. I think maybe I was gonna think that TikTok is so aspirational. It's like it's like Instagram on steroids. Um, it's a very, it, I was thinking for a young generation that have a lot of anxiety, uh, what these TikToks are showing are these people who are dancing, having fun, having great lives, often you know, very wealthy places, uh, all these young people who are very beautiful and have these beautiful homes. And, um, you know, I can understand why people just grasp onto that. It's like a pure kind of like thing. But there's a point when we have to navigate ambiguity and actually with with what's been going on in valley folk that's been happening with your audience mm -hmm. they've had to kind of it's walk beautiful. through that and it's kind of cool and that you know the, the, there's uh you know and there's some things you've done with the valley cast which have like talked about that very issue and brought it up and instead of just avoiding it and trying to be like TikTok and trying to kind of like just business as usual to somehow one is integrated by talking about it but then and here's the next challenge is how to integrate it into the comedy as well. Is there a different type of comedy that's gonna come out of the Valley Folk that's not directly connected to this, but but addresses more ambivalence? That's what I'm hoping for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, where we're at now, I mean, there's a reason I'll, I talk about it and am talking about it on this podcast and on yeah. the Valley cast, because it's also like we don't want to address it constantly yeah, and make yeah. it a thing but it is integral to who we are as people and as performers slash quote unquote artists, whatever you want to say. So that part is just a, a reality. And we know at this point that we have to be, not have to be, get to be very transparent with people. Yeah. And that's a really beautiful thing. Um, the comedy part, I can't wait for Like, yeah. I'm so excited about that because not necessarily- I can't in a way. wait till you guys start to do comedy. Me either. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're getting there. Um, and we're starting to have fun again, which is yeah. great, but, uh, it is, it, it, it's all fine. Like yeah. it, it, even in the, um, the worst parts, like as of, I don't know, like a week, two weeks ago, maybe a week ago, um, it was, everyone was very in the dark, but, uh, they say the uh, night is darkest just before the dawn. There and, uh, it's all of a sudden, like this past week has been, fantastic and so it's it all seems to be fine and i i think that's what i was betting on um but who knows i i don't know you know and the other thing by the way i don't know if because you're the youtube culture guy but there are more and more youtubers who are dealing with the complexities of life a bit more like Rhett and link you say are, are literally they're talking about their past they're talking about their religious past they're so talking good, about yeah. how they try to you know maybe rejected it integrate it wrestling with it mm -hmm. tarrying with it all of that um also think about h3h3 you know they have often done stuff about being honest about depression and difficult things oh yeah um and then um even a, a very good british youtuber jack mate who i like a lot but you oh, know yeah. he it's pretty real. Um, so, and, and these are massive YouTubers who are doing this and, and, and Grace has done it as well. Actually, I've mm -hmm. seen that Grace has been talking about kind of the honesty of the difficulties about being a YouTuber, et cetera. So, and so there's a place for that within the growing, maturing YouTube context. Yeah, there is, it's growing with the audience and, uh, and 
sometimes you're ahead and sometimes you're behind, which is, which happens a lot. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it's like people who are, and I I think our subreddit, somebody was saying, you know, about a business thing that happened, um, which business, that word has such a sterile, uh, almost greedy connotation to it. Sometimes we're like, oh, it's just business, but it's like, uh, it, it can, it can be tied to who you are as a person. And so it's like, to say business or that we did it for this reason and this reason, it can make it seem so much simpler than what it is. Because Mm -hmm. the reality is that if we are doing stuff on YouTube, it's not just a business. It's never just a business. It was never, it was never that. It wasn't intended to be a business. It was supposed to be um, friends hanging out. And then when it stopped being that, we were like, well, if this is dishonest, we're going to fix it and we're going to go from there and see what happens. And if it, breaks permanently then it breaks permanently and that's okay like it's yeah. not the end of the world um but anyway we're we're getting off yeah into my my ramblings right now yeah well Lou, i think all of that is just a, a really good as i said like it's an object lesson how this works because the other example of course is relationships i i have a friend who's kind of navigating a breakup and i was talking to her a couple of days ago and we you know she was going through the very common stage of kind of at first a kind of uh, uh, paranoid schizoid to a certain extent of going like this person is wrong I'm right because I see my perspective I don't you know I think they're acting immaturely and then moving to the point of them they were communicating actually she's very good she actually communicated so she wasn't really in a paranoid schizoid position but she was communicating with him and finding out that he has a position as well and even if she doesn't fully agree with that position of going okay there's a there's the there's porousness here it's not a purity yeah. culture of there's pure here and tox, toxicity here it's like okay we have to navigate the fact that it's hard to say all the blame is on one side and not the other so you know it's, it's a similar thing with breakups is, is having can we get to the point where we can realize that that you in most relationships it's not a clear yeah someone's right and someone's wrong it's um yeah there's such an interesting like so there's this that perspective you can take where it's like i don't know there's some people i follow on twitter where they they say things about people who support trump that are like very repulsive and just like repugnant things to say about uh other human beings that i don't think any of them know and then i sign on to facebook and i see the exact same thing from the other side but like I wonder if there's a relationship between the tendency for people to act like that, the tendency for people to, to separate the world into goodies versus baddies, also being tied to their own sense of, of uncleanliness and their own set. Like they're almost, um, there's people who are just, they'll blame themselves to a fault and they'll make themselves the, the, the dirty. Like, I think I did that for a while. I, I think I sort of played up this, uh, not bad boy, but like degenerate, persona and i think i was i was running from the pure image that i had and when i was in SourceFed, and so then it's but it was never that it was never that i was just this guy who was effing up crazy stuff I, and so it's like an interesting it's like i almost turned myself in into even doing the special holy shit was basically going yeah I'll, i will say enough that you can look to me as being almost the scapegoat or almost the 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 sacrificial lamb going look at how bad i am look at how terrible i was look at how awful these things got um <clears throat> but 
that was also kind of inaccurate because it wasn't like, like I wasn't a bad person and I wasn't this horrible degenerate. I wonder if there's something in people who, if they really feel, do you think they feel when they push people out or that they themselves feel better about themselves? And so because they're trying to make themselves feel better, is that what the the exchange is? Like if by make, by relegating, I think that's the right word, people into this, dirt pile yeah i myself can feel better and can feel like i'm not in any kind and i have no dirt so what that's absolutely true but then what you're talking about with yeah the holy shit the holy shit tour is then potentially what did i say oh yeah 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 Yeah, which is the 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 rob bell tour um the uh I think that you could describe it if we want to use the Melanie Klein frame, which I think is useful for this conversation. You could say that is the er, an early experience of the depressive position, which is exactly what you're saying, which is the, the early stage of the depressive position is where then you feel profound guilt. You realize that, that okay, I put everything onto someone else. You, you're kind of then masochistically kind of like experience your own profound kind of like a implication in the problems yeah. so for example in marriage or whatever that you go i'm part of this in fact maybe i'm even a big part of it and i and i'm an asshole and and that's the you could say that's kind of an early expression of the depressive position that's a real advance and actually you have to go through that to get to the point where you get beyond it, not beyond the depressive position, but beyond that early stage. Yeah. And so what actually what you were doing was a very positive thing, which is, uh, you know, you know, experiencing your own guilt yeah. and expressing it, not repressing it, but expressing it and, um, and potentially doing some form of reparation, even if it's just in the form of making it into comedy, expressing it, which is a type of apology. Mm-hmm. It's a type of apology to the world. Um, and that allowed you potentially to get to a healthier place. Thanks. That makes me feel better. Yeah. I, I go back and forth on it because I made such a conscious and drastic choice to be incredibly open about basically everything. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed over the past year, um, I just stopped doing that period. Like I don't really tweet very much. I don't express my political views very much. I'm very um, like timid with it. And then that coupled with obviously the fallout sort of cemented that where it's like, now I'm having to go back out and be like, oh yeah, it's it's still okay for me to be as open as I wanna be, but I won't be as open as I was probably ever again. And I'm totally fine with that. (laughs) It's like, I did it fine. Uh, but now it's sort of like a shadow that I'm like, all right, you know, and I'm guessing that you needed to do it. Like that was your, that was your kind of say bringing in like the purity culture, like you mentioned, it's, it's the scapegoat, it's the pushing out, it's the putting the dirt over Mm -hmm. there. Um, and then what you were doing is you were then saying, hold on, I'm dirty. I'm, you know, I'm the tax collector. I'm the whatever. And then, in doing that and basically saying sorry for that, um, then you're able to have basically what we call the kind of an integration of the reality principle. You ex- you know the reality that the whole thing was messy. There's no you know easy goodies and goodies and baddies mm-hmm. in it. Um, you've gone th- and you're able you're able to integrate that into your life and therefore you're in a different place. Now the only thing being because it's not stages, it's positions. It means this might happen again in your life or in my mm-hmm. life. You know, you, you can't sit back and go, no, I'm done. <laughs> I've done it. But, yeah. but but you've kind of gone through that phase, that cycle, and you've come out 
a much better place mm-hmm. as a result of it. I would agree. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think, yeah, that you can even feel the, the paranoid schizophrenic stuff. Just, I mean, social media just creates it in yeah. you immediately because it's so easy to read a headline, even just a hashtag. And it's like, there's no, it lights up that emotion and then all of a sudden it's like you suck you suck and then yeah. you're like oh wait no oh crap should i not tweeted that i shouldn't have tweeted and then yeah and it's and it's an expression cringy yeah and it, but for me and it's, it's an expression of true anxiety in a contemporary world so there's real anxiety um this is what uh, I'm looking at actually at my festival in May. That's not a plug, but that's this is the, oh, yeah. is the issue. Don't use your podcast to plug your. <laughs> oh, is that okay? <laughs> yeah, but um, but what I want to do at Wake is go. There's a genuine anxiety and a genuine alienation in society, and I, that needs to be uncovered and that needs to be looked at. But when it's displaced, uh, then it becomes uh, the paranoid schizoid position. So on Twitter. Because there's genuine anxiety, it's then put onto another, uh, whoever the other is, uh, Republicans or immigrants or uh, anti-immigrant. That's a, stuff yeah, or, my new uh, joke in stand-up is I've talked about projection, and it's when you take all your anxieties and you just put them onto another person. It's like the Democratic Party of defense mechanisms. Okay. And people usually laugh at that. That's very good. I was thinking, yeah, that you, you could, I wonder if you could do a version where you say projection. It's where you take all of the terrible stuff and you project it onto my dad. That's yeah, I do that. Yeah, and then I follow it up. I go and my now my dad suffers from this. I don't. I, my dad does, and that got uh, laughed like once with people, but it was one of those laughs that's like I get the joke. Yeah, yeah. Not like you did know. you ever see Stuart Lee when he he made this really smart joke and people clapped and he says he says I finally become the type of comedian where I tell a joke and nobody laughs but they clap their yeah, approval. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh man, yeah. he's great. Yeah, but. That's very good. I want to see your new stuff, man. I'd like to see the stand-up you were doing on the road. Yeah, it's um, getting it's getting there. I'm excited is it, about is it. Is it mostly new? Is it half and half? Or it's like half and half half and half I'd like to you should do are you doing any live stuff here in LA no I'm doing Washington DC April 3rd and 4th tickets below um that's I like plan. I like I saw on your Instagram story you put up somebody bought a ticket and I was like you you got one one <laughs> you sold one yep that's nice. usually how it works too yeah <laughs> it's so weird because uh, yeah I follow I put like Bitly links and I can see the amount of clicks that it gets oh, yeah. but I can't see how many people are actually buying tickets who click on the link so and then I, I just play a guessing game but the reality is that I can always just email my agent and be like how many tickets have we sold and they actually have a database that I could log into independently but I choose not to do that because yeah. I'm it gives me anxiety. Yeah. I never well, I I have never looked up how many books I've sold. Really? But it's still, but I think it's complete weirdly indifferent. I know it's either going to be it's, it's definitely not a lot because I would know that by big royalty checks. Yes. So I just go okay it's it's probably not very much but that's all right, you know. Yeah, I think I'd be curious to know how much you've you've sold but yeah, I should check what out. do you think the guess is I would say um, you know the books in the first year maybe eight to ten thousand so pretty it, good man is that a, I don't know if that's not that great it's not um, it's not the secret yeah it's not uh, no that's true yeah well it is but <laughs> yeah that's true but not selling like a secret does yeah nobody wants the truth um, yeah so okay what else you got okay. any so yeah well that basically that's the Oh, oh, yeah. One thing I wanted to say. Yeah, yeah we got more. We got more. Sure. Yeah, not not much more, maybe, because we've been going for a while. Mm-hmm. But the thing I was going to say was, oh, yeah, what is it about contemporary society that means that we're very prone to this proliferation of new purity 
uh, cultures. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing. There is anxiety. And I think there's a genuine anxiety, a genuine alienation within society, genuine kind of economic fears, uh, genuine fears of like genuine kind of underemployment, being alienated from your employment, having to work in a job that you don't overly have any investment in, mm. all of these issues that are there. And so the conditions are ripe for generating paranoid schizoid uh, uh, kind of communities. So the issue today is how do we create environments that in <laughs> that encourage the depressive position? Yeah. Right? And that, that's what I think the fundamentalist is about. I think partly what our podcast is about is about trying to help just in it like a little drop in the ocean, but to try to bring the depressive position it, it kind of to people to yeah. kind of like help people be more cognizant of how they can be drawn into new purity cultures and how they can try to have more ambivalence in their life. And ultimately what I would like to do with the fundamentalists is over the next couple of years is we really expose what the true alienation and the true antagonisms within society really are. Yeah. Why is it that I want to know who the next Hitler is? Uh, why, like, why yeah. am I going, oh, this guy's just, just like Hitler. It's like, what, what in me is desiring for there to be another Hitler? Yes, yes. It's a difference between thinking maybe one's going to come along and wanting one. Almost right. like, I'm like, you know, we, we're being really invested. Constantly yeah. on the lookout, parent, oh my God, there's yeah. this, 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 which also can happen because the other thing that we're not really talking about is when people just suck. Yeah. Like, yeah. In, in how do you, how do you deal with, how do you tell the difference between the, the paranoid schizophrenic tendency that you can have of, other out there, bad, 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 with the reality that, in my opinion, some people just yeah. are the worst. So it's like you can't, sometimes when that happens, it's even more tragic because if you can get to a place where you can see ambiguity and then you could still just go, yeah, no, yeah, like yeah. I'm okay, yeah. I'm all right. Uh, yeah. It's and like, I think, and I think the difference is, well, there's two differences. One of the differences is even when you see someone who is very bad, you know, who's potentially got an extreme purity culture thing going, whether they're right or left, right? They've got they've got their enemy, the scapegoat. They've got who's pure and who's good. They're causing problems in the world. There's a certain extent to which if, they, if they're a big figure, there's still a question of why are they big? Why, why, what, why am I participating in a society that generates that? Am I part of that? Is there something about my position that actually fuels that position? Um, those questions show that you're in a depressive position, mm -hmm. right? So you're so even when you're confronted by someone who you, you for empirical reasons think is is bad for society, you're still asking, oh, is there something about me or the community that I'm part of that actually fuels this, that generates it? Is there and what can I do to bring a little bit of impurity into the purity culture? What can I do to kind of like be the prophet? Because in religion, it's the prophet who questions the purity culture. It's kind of the priest who protects the purity culture because purity cultures are, they start off as good. They're about cleaning your hands, about washing animals in some way, doing all these things that are actually useful for stopping the spread of disease. The Jordan Peterson, uh, keep your own house clean, clean before, yeah. yeah, clean your room before yeah. you. There's an extreme kind of interesting purity thing going on there, but um, but there's a, there's well, also yeah. just the, you heard about the oh I know yeah that's crazy right yeah yeah, wow. yeah lots to talk about there, um, but yeah so there's <laughs> the uh, there's the the purity culture which has lots of good but then it becomes too pure 
and then the prophet comes in and they dirty up the water. Basically, yeah. they get the pond and they they put a stick in it and they squirrel the stick and the dirt at the bottom of the pond comes up and you realize, oh, the pond is it's porous. There's there's dirt and cleanliness, and so that's one thing: is can we can we kind of uh, productively critique purity culture in a way that's beneficial. And then secondly, the paranoid dimension of the paranoid schizo schizoid is that you know you're paranoid, although you don't know you're paranoid, but one knows they encounter someone who's paranoid when evidence, it's not that evidence um, defines what they think, it's what they think defines how they interpret the evidence. Yeah. So a paranoid person is libidinally invest, invested in an enemy, like you're saying, like the bully at school who needs someone to bully. Mm -hmm. They need someone. Um, and the difference between someone who just empirically looks at some data and goes, yeah, these people I think are not good and I'm open to being wrong and I'm open to talking to people about being wrong, but I think it is bad. Um, and the person who is so libidinally invested in their being an enemy that they'll just interpret all evidence to kind of like solidify their position. Does that make sense? I think so, yeah. Do you feel like there's a way to guide people out of the that world or even to, not because that alone sounds self-defeating because basically I'm implying that, you know, other people are like this. Uh, okay. like yes. This. <laughs> um, but breaking the world into those people who break the world into exactly. good and bad and, and those people who don't. People like me who understand <laughs> yes. ambiguity, not like them who are bad. Yeah, uh, yeah that's like that, that. It's like one of those philosophy 101. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, if there's no If God, you're skeptical of truth, is that not a truth that you're skeptical yeah, of? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> if it's agnostic and you can't know, how do you know that you can't know? <laughs> you about that? Uh, yes, but I mean... Instance mm -hmm. by instance, assuming yeah. you're in an instance where you can see it in someone or you yourself have seen it in yourself and remedied and you see that somebody else is still there. Is yeah. there, because in my mind, I think about this, especially with politics, where it's like, I just want to agree with what they're saying. My new thing is to go, because I think a really popular talking point right now for, for Republican people is to go, well, I don't. I don't like Trump as a person. I, I think he's, you know, he's not a good person, but I agree with him on policy level. So mm. I will vote for him because of his policies. And my... You're, my, the, you're the other way around. I'm 100% yeah. the other way I'm around. I'm actually kind of the other way around. Yeah. I think he's a bit of a laugh, but I don't agree with him politically. I would hang out with him. I'm Marxist. <laughs> yeah, I think it'd be hilarious. I think he what he's doing with just being a complete maniac is... Uh, <laughs> I enjoy if seeing. If nothing else, it's entertaining. Exactly. It's just his <laughs> politics I don't happen to yeah. agree with. Nothing. I'm not trying to be, I'm not hating on the guy. I just don't agree with him politically. Yeah. But him as a person, great. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if the, uh, the reason I, I like thinking about that or saying that is because it feels like even in saying that there is something that's going to light up in the Trump supporter who just is like, Oh yeah, that is kind of where I, like, I don't really know anything about his policies, yeah. but I do just like him symbolically as this, this big figure who's yeah. just absorbing all this hatred. That's like the Bill Hicks joke. Where it was, not he say about like he was, uh, everyone's for the trips, but against the war. And he says, I'm controversially for the war and against the trips. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, uh, but this one's more right. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that, to be honest, that's my, again, I, I don't think there's much of a difference between the Democratic Party and, and Trump at all in terms of policies, pretty much. Um, and uh, 
Yeah, anyway, but I won't get it. But Different maybe, podcast. Maybe we should yeah. do maybe we should do politics sometime yeah. and lose everybody. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely one thing I've learned about my political views is that I don't know. I don't. I know enough to be dangerous. To be yeah. to be dangerous. Yeah. yeah. To, I know that I can. I know that I really disagree with pretty much everybody. <laughs> so yeah. it's like in some way, but uh, yeah, I think the purity culture that is defining the left right now, um, and them having their heads up their own butts a little bit is creating the very thing that they are yeah. protesting against and, and or helping way, contributing yeah. to at least and really the the only way that that gets fixed is is the same as because we can learn from religion is that it's when a figure comes out of the religion that critiques the, the culture so basically not um not an uh not an infidel an infidel is someone who is in the, the other religion yeah but a heretic a heretic is someone who's within wrong the, within the religion. Yeah. So you need the heretic, but who comes out from within and respects the position, but is able to uh, question the purity culture and not get killed while they're doing it, which is difficult to do. Yeah, I'm very glad that I grew up conservative. Yeah. I'm very glad that I grew up kind of Republican. Yeah, I like that. I yeah. like that. I I feel bad for people who are who grew up liberal and have always been anybody who grows up in the same political mindset and then stays there i don't i feel slightly i'm like oh what a bummer yeah it's more i i just think it's a more exciting thing to kind of i realize i'm about to vote in the primaries and i've voted as a republican a libertarian and a democrat yeah. like my pendulum just went whoop, <laughs> and uh but it's cool because i i like that i like yeah. the fact that it's been that shift yep. and when you don't have that shift then I think you have a very difficult time understanding where the other people are coming from because you've never entered into it. I think it's, I think generally it's it's really uh, can be advantageous to grow up in any group that is outside of the elites of any kind. So whether it's you know philosophy that you're growing up outside of where the philosophical kind of heartlands mm -hmm. are. Or if you grew up in a religiously very conservative thing, maybe a Jehovah's Witness or something, only because you're constantly having to define yourself against the dominant system. And that can, when you get to a certain age, provide you with very interesting insights. So yeah. C.S. Lewis, a good example, like he just, he was obsessed with the scholastic period of, of philosophy. And, um, and actually I did my degree in scholastic philosophy. Uh, and it's kind of cool to just immerse yourself in a scholastic tradition because it's so out of sync with the contemporary modern world that it can actually help you see things in the modern world that yeah. you wouldn't if you weren't out of sync with it. You yep. know? So yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's something to say for that. This has been a good episode, Pete. Uh, oh yeah, and one thing you mentioned as well, which we kind of touched on is, is how do we minimize, how do we minimize this paranoid schizoid? Can yeah. I say something about that? Please. And then we can close it up. Only I wanted to say, oh, this could be the takeaway. Let's do the takeaways. All right. Okay. Well, you, 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 you do your takeaway, takeaway and I'll... Takeaway? Yes. Okay. So my takeaway is the ways potentially to address the paranoid schizoid position is one, to try to uncover the anxiety that creates it. So one, no judgment. Like don't, like we all are in that. That's position, the biggest. Yeah, because don't judge, but because if what you want to do is understand, understanding. So what's the anxiety that lies behind it? Um, uh, understand it as well, understand the position, understand what's happening and what's going on and have a bit of grace for yourself. And those things individually can help you get into the depressive position. But even culturally, if we're a little bit like that, um, 
Uh, we can find out how to do that at a cultural level. Maybe, maybe we can stop this schizoid splitting that we're seeing. It's so an much epidemic. Of. It epidemic. really does. Otherwise, seem... oh my goodness, it just ends up in war. It yeah. ultimately ends up in bloody conflict. I was talking to my brother on the way here, and we were getting caught up, and we were talking a little bit about just the this is get, this is getting worse. Like it, mm -hmm. the the divide is is getting uh, more and more contrasted, and it's. Uh, it's so crazy to see it in real time. And as we move forward and just seeing the complete disconnects that everybody has, um, ourselves included, it's like, oh, the, something's gonna, something either has to break or we need to, to shift some stuff and start talking oh, yeah. to one another. And you know what happens, right? It, it, when it gets worse, so we're talking about paranoid schizoid position purely culturally, but what will happen is people who are paranoid schizoid in terms of their personality, individuals, they will start to do violence against the opposition. Mm -hmm. And so what we'll begin to see is just the extremes on, say, the liberal and the conservative position, the extremes will start to do violence attacking the opposition. Mm -hmm. We already see a little bit of it because, and those are the canaries in the, in the mine. So they're people who genuinely have mental health issues, um, but what they're doing is they're expressing the the cultural condition that was within their their uh, their group. Yeah, I was uh, doing the classic. We would do this when we lived together. We'd switch between CNN and Fox News to sort yeah. of see the difference. And I switched to Fox News the other day, and it was like they were like, "We're the only news station reporting this story about a um, liberal person crashing their car into a Trump." Oh yeah, stand. I about that. yeah, yeah. And uh, I was like, "That's interesting." I was like, "Because they're they're right." I didn't hear about oh, that yeah, on no. CNN. But then when I turned to Fox, they're using it as an example of look at how bad these people are. And it's mm -hmm. like, okay, but it is those extremes yeah. coming at one another. And then and then that when that extreme happens on the other side, then you're like, look at how crazy those people are. And it's yeah. like. You're not, that's not helping. Yes, it's not helping. You know, that's, that's a symptom. Those extreme are a symptom of something that's boiling, boiling, boiling. And yeah, we need more people. I think YouTube's going to be important to this. Is like, because so many millions of people watch, it's good YouTubers who mm -hmm. are able to show ambivalence and be able to kind of show nuance. Um, uh, so I got to get to need. work. So you got to get to work. Well, thank yeah. you very much, Pete. This has been fun in terms of takeaway for me. Um, yeah, I want to keep, we'll keep talking about this in some way or, or another, but it's yeah. just, uh, I, scary might be the wrong word. It's, it's, but I think it might be the right, it's the right word. It's a little scary right now. And I think that the being non-judgmental, being uh, truly seeking data and information mm -hmm. uh, and being open to change yeah. is like the only thing you can do Apart from alcohol and drugs. Exactly. Thank you. Not alcohol, right. Pete. Don't be disgusting. <laughs> Thank you, Pete. Thanks, Thank everybody. Bye-bye.